I think sometimes to my detriment, I feel like I should care about, no, genuinely, I, I feel like I should care about making money more. What's the point of school? Is it there to prepare people for later life? Is it there to like pass exams? Yes, talent is important, but hard work is more important. Yeah. yeah, lifestyle creep is real. Life can be difficult. Yes, the economy can be difficult, but you can actually do like, okay. Today, very special guest, somebody that I've been following very recently since I watched him on the Talk 20s podcast, Mr. Moneyjar. How are you doing to me? Very good, Emilio. How Thanks for coming in. I'm very well, thank you. Um, very, very well. I, um, when I started the podcast, obviously it's called Lessons We're Learning. Yeah. And the whole point is that people can tune in, watch, listen, and learn together. Um, I'm a big, big advocate of learning outside of the classroom. Big fan of, you've got to constantly be learning throughout your life to improve, to get better. So that's why we based it around learning. But the people that we've had on so far, I really do think this might be one of the best episodes in terms of pure knowledge oh, and learn, learning from somebody who's such an expert like you. And I really mean that because finance is just tricky, right? It's just a difficult subject. So I'm really interested in digging down with you about, you know, not just the financial situation now, but tips, tricks, advice that you have for anybody listening that maybe wants to save money, you know, get through, you know, this cost of living crisis, investments, all of the above. So yeah, very excited to have you on today. Um, but let's take it back. Where did your love of finance come from? Have you always been interested or was it, I've, I've been on your LinkedIn and seen that you obviously had a career in, in finance, so. Yeah, yeah, um, it's a little bit to do with my job. Although um, I recently moved to, to Brighton and um, yeah. when I was going through all my stuff, I found an old diary of mine yeah. from 2000. So literally 10 years old writing this diary. And I was logging like my pocket money and what I was really? spending money on. Um, it was like got given 10 pounds pocket money, just spent it on Chewits minus like whatever Chewits cost back then, like 30p or whatever. Had anybody taught you to do that? Or was no, that just, it a... just, just sort of came to wow. me to do it. So, um, definitely there was a period when I first started my, my job, like working properly, yeah. um, in marketing, working for financial clients, I became interested in finance, but mm. like yeah, I mean, something was going there on. There was obviously then, right? something in, yeah. in, you, in you that wanted, well, that was interested in money. So was it, was it an interest of you wanted to, quote unquote, be rich? Or was it just you wanted to understand how it worked? Um, no, I, I didn't want to be rich. I still don't want to be rich, actually. Yeah. I think sometimes to my detriment, I feel like <laughs> I should care about, no, genuinely, I, I feel like I should care about making money more. I am just, I just have a brain and a way of thinking that means that I want to get deeper into something. So yeah. um, let's say, for example, a mobile phone, we use mobile phones every day. I don't think most people could articulate how a touch screen works or like how the internet works. Um, and I'm the sort of person where if I'm doing something a lot, I, I kind of want to understand how it works because mm. I think it's interesting. And I think you can maybe perhaps get something more out of the thing that you're using. Yeah. So yeah, I was just looking at the world. I saw that some people earned a lot of money, some people didn't. Um, the rules change all the time and yeah, I just got, took a, took a deeper level of interest in it. Yeah. I, I think that's what I find quite refreshing about your content though, that it's not about getting rich quick. Hmm. 
and you see, you know, the Andrew Tates of the world, <laughs> people like this. And I've, I've heard you say a few things and mention him, but I, I find it quite refreshing that your content isn't about that. It's about becoming financially literate and learning about finance and, and understanding what it means to what, what money means and yeah. how to, how to work it, not go and make, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds a yeah. year. I think that's quite refreshing. Where did the, sorry, go ahead. Well, there, there is a thing is when it comes to making money, Yeah. Um, I don't think like if anyone's listening to this and they want to make money, I don't think it is that productive to focus on money itself. Money is like a form of applause. Mm. You get it for providing value, whatever that is to someone else. So you should actually focus on investing in yourself and increasing your skills mm. so that you can be the sort of person that people want to pay. Focusing on the money is a bit like, you know, being a performer, getting up on stage and just expecting an applause. Yeah. Like no one's going to clap for you if you haven't actually sung or danced or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And um, that's why I don't focus on like the multi-millions. It's actually about fulfilling your potential. And that, that's, I think what's, that's what probably appeals to the masses is that not everybody can be a multi-millionaire but everybody can get educated on finance. What do you think to those channels that are doing all these like drop shipping, Bitcoin, all this kind of stuff? Like, do you think it's helpful or do you think it's quite dangerous? There's lots of things I think about them. The first thing is that if you see, um, it's like you watch a YouTube video, right? And there'll yeah. be like a kind of like, here's how to make a thousand pounds a day from your house and stuff. Yeah. Um, first thing is that is often like, up to like a thousand pounds a day. So there'll mm. be a range. Second thing is you want to be aware of um, highly saturated, low barrier to entry markets. So the mere fact yeah. that you're seeing that thing on an advert means that potentially thousands, uh, tens of thousands of other people are seeing it too. So mm. you can enter that market, but you'll need to do something that's sufficiently unique, sufficiently d differentiated for you to be able to make money in it. That's the mm. first thing I think. The second thing I think is that you need to be aware of people who um, make more money from teaching things than from the thing that they teach. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. hundred um, percent. Absolutely nothing wrong with selling courses or training or whatever the case may be. But this person's primary revenue stream may be simply selling the course and they may have zero interest in you actually making yeah. money from the thing. So this is why I talk about, um, like I did a piece of content around book value and intrinsic value which is that if you choose to invest in yourself, whether that's a book, a course, um, like a degree even, the amount of money that you part with to invest in yourself, that thing needs to be able to be paid back by what you've learned. Mm -hmm. So if you take a video editing course and you pay a grand for it, then take it knowing that you'll make more than a grand in the long run from mm -hmm. that course. Otherwise you've lost money. Yeah, that's brilliant, brilliant advice. And it is funny because I think the other dangerous thing about socials when it comes to this stuff is the moment you watch one of those, you know, drop shipping, Bitcoin, flipping, whatever it may be, videos on TikTok, that's all you get fed now. And every day you're going on there going, oh, look at them, making money, making money, making money. But I love what you're saying about making sure you're understanding who is that person making the content and what have they actually done before that to warrant them actually selling that selling that course. Yeah. Um, taking it back to, to Mr. Money Jar, sure. how did that idea come about? Tell me about that story because I'm fascinated about people that make businesses 
how did that start for you? Yeah, well, Mr. Manager is actually my second business. Right. So when I was working in marketing, like my second job out of uni, mm. I, I left after a year. I just had this yeah. like uncontrollable itch to like start a, a company. I just knew that I wanted to do it. And I even spoke to my manager about it at the time, like when I was leaving, like this is why I'm leaving. She was one of the, I really didn't want to leave. Mm. Um, her, na her name's uh, Louise Turner. And she's one of the best people I've ever worked for, period. She was an awesome manager. But I was like, yeah, I just have an idea. I want to start a finance app. I want to, I want to make um, a product where you can like subscribe to things mm -hmm. and like subscriptions and bills and manage them all in one place. I'm going to give that a go. So I left with savings and I gave myself a year to make it work. Don't do that. That is like <laughs> the time limit you mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that is I've like, heard that from a few people on this podcast say giving yourself a time limit is so dangerous. Yeah. Like the universe doesn't work like that. Yeah. Like your thing is going to, if your thing's going to work, then it will work, but it will work in its own time frame. Yeah. You can't really force it. And that was like so much pressure when I did that. Mm. Um, gave it a go for a year, didn't work. But then I thought, okay, if, um, I can't be the person who like makes an app. Mm. That's the other thing. Like I, I left, how cliche is that? Like I left my company to make an app. Could but you develop or anything at that point? I couldn't develop, but I did right. work with a friend who could, right, like, okay. a very talented developer. Um, so I thought if, I, if I'm not the person who can make the financial product, why mm. don't I be the person who talks about them? Yeah. Um, and it was during this period of time that I was reading loads of books, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos around money. Mm. And I was also aware that there was this growing almost need for content creators and like human faces to yeah. recommend products and services online. Um, so once I got to a level of knowledge, I was like, I think I can like talk to people about this. I then started Mr. Money Jar and that was in 2019. Right, got you. You've obviously seen a gap in the market to educate people on f like finance in general. Yeah. What are your opinions on how particularly children, teenagers are educated throughout the schooling system on financial topics? Because I did a business degree. Sure. Didn't learn anything about tax, yeah. about investments. It was all the theory of business. Now, maybe I just wasn't listening correctly in the classes or, or whatnot. But what's your opinion on how we are educated as children growing up in the UK? Yeah, I don't feel that I received that much financial education at school. My youngest brother's um, just turned 17. And okay. so I talked to him a lot like I'm really grateful to have him in my life because he kind of keeps me relevant <laughs> yeah. um and he says he he hasn't learned that much it's right. a bit of a mixed bag to be honest um I have actually volunteered in a school with right. Young Enterprise and delivered a fantastic financial education, like day-long workshop with year 10s. Oh, wow. And we talked about saving and entrepreneurship and there were board games and workshops and it was like a full day thing. And they were, this is like a room full of like 14, 15 yeah. year olds, right? And they were engaged throughout. So there are organizations that are doing this, mm. going into schools and providing the education, Young Enterprise, um, mm. Financial Liter Literacy and Inclusion campaign, which is a, the financial times as charity they also do so as well mm. i think the tricky thing com comes in in two respects firstly the fact that like teachers are overstretched and work extremely hard yeah. trying to deliver their core syllabus yeah and so being given another thing to yeah. teach is just like how am i going to fit this in like i actually mm. need to teach all these other subjects mm. um and that's why i don't try to bash school 
or, or teachers at all because they work incredibly hard like the teachers that I know. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I think that there's a bit of a question as to what the role of school is in society today. Um, I think that we're living in an era now where there's act the world is changing so fast yeah. that like by the time when you started school and you're being taught stuff, by the time you've left, that stuff could it's be out of date. Different, yeah. Because stuff literally changes multiple times within the course of a year even. Like if you look at what's the state artificial intelligence was in this time last year versus now. Yeah. It's like night and day. And um, but like, yeah, so we're like, what's the, what's the point of school? Is it there to prepare people for later life? Is it there to like pass exams? Is it there to get you a job? It's a great I don't, question. I don't think we're almost clear on that. My opinion on what school should be in a world where information is being there are more data points being created than there are hours in the day to learn them mm. is that school should teach you how to learn i was literally thinking that in my head as you're as you're saying it. i think that is the number one what i would want i've i just say i say i just had a little girl she's nearly 11 months so she's i didn't just have congratulations her. thank you um but if i think about what i want her school in the future to do i want her to be taught how to absorb information and where to go to get that information. Yeah, how to yeah how to take in, analyze, and then apply information. Yeah, which means no more memorizing stuff, mm. right? If we're giving people a list of facts and then asking them to, like, just like store them in their brains for a limited yeah. period of time and then regurgitate them in an exam, that's a waste of everyone's time because mm. in the real world you will just Google that stuff. No, what like no surgeons on the operating table going, oh, what's the name of that bone? Oh, we don't remember. Pack it up. Like, you just look stuff up like yeah, on yeah. the fly. So it should be more about like how you use and apply information. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely perfect. I've I've always had a a slight opinion when it comes to school in the UK that one of the reasons why we're not taught about tax and savings and investment is the taboo nature of money. Sure. We're not told, we're not, we're not encouraged as kids in the UK to talk about money, to ask how much are you earning, ask, you know, where are you investing your money? It's always like, oh, you can't ask that. It's like, you know, asking somebody's weight or something that you're not supposed to do it. Sure. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that we're not taught it in school, that taboo nature of money? Yeah, I think you can't talk about what you don't know about mm. is is one thing. Um, it is taboo, definitely. There was a study that was done by UCL uh, where they found that people are more happy to talk about the number of people they've slept with than um, <laughs> than their, their annual salary. And when you think about it, it's like true, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, your annual salary can be... Um, like quite exposing, particularly like within the organization. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just like, it's like capitalism, right? Like you mm -hmm. make money um, in a lot of cases by like charging this much over here and then paying that person that much over there. And yeah. uh, like many people listening to this will know the feeling of like working in a company and then realizing that the person you're sat next to who does the exact same job as you is being paid more than you. Mm. Um, Knowing your rights is very, very important. A lot of people don't realize that within the workplace, it's completely legal to talk about your salary. Mm. Um, under the 2010 Equality Act, you can totally do that. Yeah. And the way that you um, start having these conversations with money is that you speak to trusted people um, 
about things like salaries and mm. like how you manage money and where you're investing. And um, you you do it, you know, in the name of like transparency and making the, the world a, a fairer place. Yeah. Really. I, th- I think it's so important for people to know where to go to get, because I think that's no- the number one thing most people who have come out of school and they don't understand what to do with their money. And it's particularly important, not just for those that don't have money, but those who have come out of school and maybe they're earning good money. Because it's very easy. I've got friends that have come out of school and done quite well, and they've just spent their money because they now have, for the first time, you know, a bit of money in their pocket. They bought a car. They sure. bought, you know, maybe a house that they can't afford, like wherever it may be. Obviously, there are resources online like yours. So what can people learn when they come to a platform like yours? What I'm aiming to do with my platform is um, give people like not give give people nets instead of fish. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I think that when it comes to financial literacy, when it comes to financial education, Mm -hmm. the basics are actually very, very simple and are understood by all. The reason why people can learn from my content is because it speaks to the part of them that's able to understand my content. So Mm. they already have the understanding. What they don't have is the information. Yeah. 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 So actually all my job is to give people information in a way that's accessible to them and understandable to them. And then most people generally can head in the direction they want to go, whether that's getting on a property ladder, getting out of debt or investing for the first time or starting a budget. Yeah. Um, And... Uh, actually, I was just saying to, to Josh earlier that like you shouldn't um, beat yourself up for not knowing something. I think that people do that all the time. Yeah, but that's just, you know. Yeah, human nature. judging a fish for its ability yeah. to climb a tree. You shouldn't <laughs> yeah. judge yourself for not knowing something. You wouldn't do that with a car. You wouldn't give a car key to someone who'd never driven before. No. And then like berate them or have them beat themselves up because they don't know how to do that like you take lessons yeah in controlled environments right you don't just jump on the m25 like you start small and then you build so my platform i'm very happy to like i post content i speak to people on dms and on messages all the time Mm. um and there are loads of people like me yeah and there's a huge financial education scene in the uk at the moment with people from all walks of life sharing their financial experiences which i think is brilliant um, but you also have like a very good resource, a government back resource, which is the Money Helper website, mm. which is fantastic. You can go on there and learn about any aspect of finance um, okay. in terms of the education stuff. And then gov.uk is really good for like the rules and the regulations mm. and like the tax bans and so on. Those are actually two very solid I just don't think people like, know. Resources. They don't, don't know it's as easy as just going to gov.uk yeah. and finding that kind of resource. I'll be very honest with you. Like yeah. this isn't all the time, but yeah. like some of the time, I'm just going on gov.uk, reading yeah. stuff and then making a video about it. Yeah. But that's not to say that um, like I'm... Uh, almost shortchanging people or, or, or anything because it's actually taken me many many years to be able to navigate that website and to know what bits to talk about and, what and you're making sure you're about. getting it correct yeah. as well which is really key when it comes to anything financial is making sure that information you're giving is objective so it, it makes complete sense and, and I think that as you say there's so many platforms you can go to like the ones you just mentioned there's so many people you can follow on social media what, how how do you, I guess, cut through the middle and know if somebody that 
is is giving financial advice online mm -hmm. is actually somebody that you should listen to. Yeah. Um, you're asking some really great questions. <laughs> um, I'm having to think about them. It's all fun to five. No, this is a wicked conversation. Yeah. Um, how do you know that the person who's giving the information online is someone you should listen to? So, so the first thing mm. is that there are no provisions that I'm aware of for providing financial advice online. Interesting. There's guidance and there's advice. Mm. Guidance focuses on how stuff works right. and like your options. This is an ISA, this is a pension, this is how much you can put in. There's no laws this is against where you giving can, that. Yeah, it's guidance. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything that you can kind of Google and get back is guidance. Yeah. Advice is, here's where you should put your money within that ISA. Right. This is how much of your savings you should put into that. Okay. That is, uh, the, there are no provisions that I'm aware of for giving that online because, mm. you know, the job of a content creator is like very new. And um, as is always the case with technology, yeah. the changes come and then the regulation follows afterwards. Yeah. And that's an ongoing conversation actually with the likes of the FCA who I worked with right, um, a okay. couple of years ago. So that's the first thing. You should only really be getting guidance. Advice, you know, you need to take people's bank statements. You need to sit down, you need to mm. talk to them to be able to give them prescriptive advice. Yeah. So first thing is how prescriptive is the stuff? Are you being told like what to do specifically? Yeah, yeah. The second thing actually is uh, tenure. So how yeah. long the person's been around for? I've been doing this four years. Yeah. I've made thousands of pieces of content. Yeah. I've spoken to thousands of people probably at this point. <laughs> um, if I was going to be found out to be pulling the wool over anyone's eyes or misleading anyone, mm. I think that would have happened by now. Mm. Um, and like the reason why I wouldn't do that is because my brand is me. It's my face, it's my name. And mm. I'm hugely, and people like me are hugely disincentivized mm. from trying to mislead people. You'll, you'll just get found out. Yeah. And like the internet's a very efficient place. Yeah, you'll yeah. end up on the news or like whatever the case yeah. may be. So how long has a person been around? Like, mm. do they, are they seen to be working with other creators in the space? Have they appeared on national news? Have they appeared on podcasts and stuff? I'm not saying yeah. that all of these things are like a necessary uh, thing. Um, to gauge whether someone is trustworthy, but they're definitely useful point, yeah. indicators. Yeah, but it's interesting you say about people not being able to, or having a lack of regulation to or rules for who can give guidance and advice online. Because yeah. am I right in saying in let's do it, quote unquote real world, it is a, it is illegal to give somebody financial advice if you're not a trained financial advisor correct yeah you need to be a financial advisor to be able to give advice yeah. to people and on the fca's website there's actually um a list of like this is what guidance is this is what advice is right these are non-regulated activities these are regulated activities and yeah. there's actually i've not really spoken about this publicly before but i'm actually training to become a financial advisor right I've okay. passed my coursework oh, and one of my exams and i've got one more exam to go and then you then yeah. you're, wow, amazing, well done. Oh, thank you. Um, because I recognize, you know, the importance of, you know, they could just change the rules. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. All you people talking about money online, you can't Shouldn't do that be. anymore. I don't think they'll do that though, because... Um, do you think they should? No. No? No. I don't think they'll do that. The FCA, I've worked with the FCA. Yeah. They're currently working with um, like content creators at the moment and they're, mm. they're actually very collaborative and they want to... Mm 
I think the reason why they haven't just come out and made rules is because I think they want to make them in conjunction with the people that are actually yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they should change it because the genie's out the bottle now. Mm. Everyone's on their phones all the time. Yeah. And people are creating and consuming. So you can't really change that. What you need to do is adapt with the way the world is going and then give people like me, mm. you know, legit ways to talk about money. Yeah, or like, yeah. Make the rules and I'll follow them. Yeah. It's fine. It's so true. Talking of, of content creators, so we manage content creators. That's what our agency does. Sweet. Nice. And it's, it's quite funny because I love the fact that people like you have been able to build a profile and share advice about finance. But the flip side of content creation is this, I guess, glorification of people's lives. Sure. Which I know I've heard you talk about, maybe even on the Talk 20s podcast, but about this, seeing somebody on, on the internet thinking they've got this amazing life, spending all this money, which puts even more pressure on an individual going, oh God, they're on a holiday, like they're, you yeah. know, spending They're this. getting married, they've got a dog. Like, have they done this? Baby. And yeah, they yeah. don't maybe know that, you know, it's on finance yeah, or yeah. it's on a credit card or, or, or the family gave them their money, which is absolutely fine as well. But what's your opinion in terms of how social media is affecting, I guess, especially the young people's mindset to sure. spending? Well, look, the, the, the human drive to compare and to keep up the, with the Joneses predates yeah. social media, right? Yeah, like yeah. That's just what we're like. And what social media has done is it's amplified that and it's like pushed on our buttons even more. Mm. So um, I think we need to start with the individual. I do believe social media to be neutral in mm. all of this, to be honest. I think it's just a, it's like a megaphone. It's like yeah. a, just a neutral tool. Um, and I've chosen to use it to, to educate, right? Like if I yeah. was trying to educate people in person, then I'd probably be reaching like hundreds of people, but now I can reach tens of thousands of yeah. people. And it's the same with the comparison game. The way that you um, get over that, I guess, is, um, and this isn't, <laughs> I definitely haven't solved for this myself, but um, is to curate your feed. And you, you, you need to, the thing with technology is you have to use technology on your own terms. Yeah. The thing is, you know, the social media platform is free mm. and you're the product. That's like the premise of it. Like mm. they want to keep you on the platform for as long as possible so they can sell ads to brands. So if they're doing that to you, you need to say, well, I'm going to use this technology on my own terms. That means there's going to be certain times of the day that I'm not going to use it. I don't know about you, but if I start off my day on social media, that can sometimes like ruin my day, depending on oh, like what I, I see. I've just started not going on my phone in the morning until, the I've, morning until I've done certain things, whether it's like exercise, whatever it may be, yeah. because I was getting, I was like waking up straight onto Instagram, mm -hmm. seeing something that somebody was doing and, and it put me in a bad mood. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, just, you, you know, you, you, I, for me, I mean, say all that, I, I did go on my phone first thing, today and i was like shouldn't have done that yeah. but oh, like you go on the news right and you mm. see something that's really sad and yeah. then that's like the first thing you've seen and i do think that future um societies will actually look back on now and be like wow yeah. you could just go on the internet and mm. just see anything like literally anything so that's one thing use it on your terms be like be very careful about when in the day you use it but also curate your feed yeah so um yes there are um obviously real world almost consequences to unfollowing people and stuff, but you should yeah. mute people and you should use the mute button liberally. Um, <laughs> you should, 
anything that you don't see, yeah, just either tap the do- like not interested or mute or unfollow them. I on my personal social media, um, I was following loads of friends and family and stuff, mm-hmm. but I got into some of what you were talking about, where you're just kind of seeing things that aren't all that useful to you. Yeah. So I unfollowed basically all of it which is a difficult thing to do right there's no mass unfollow tool on a lot of these platforms (laughs) but yeah i unfollowed it and now if i look at my feed it's just video games comedy and then like yeah you know films stuff that's going to put you in a good mood yeah and i'm really happy to go on my personal instagram now because it's just stuff that i want to see and you almost need to game the algorithm because what also on every platform now you get pushed content from people you're not following yeah but the only reason you're getting pushed that content is because you're watching it when it gets fed to you. Mm-hmm. So today, for even on my phone today, yeah, I got pushed something and I watched it for longer than I should have. Yeah. I watched the whole video. The next hour or so I went on my phone and I got pushed the same content again. And it's because the algorithm's gone, oh, Emilio's watched this. Mm. So you also have to police yourself. And, and I love what you said about following the right people and curating your, you know, your apps so that you are going on there for the right reasons because I think that is so key when it comes to enjoying social media and getting the most out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that what you're doing and sharing that kind of advice is just so important for those young people out there because that's where everybody is. They're on their phone. They're, so many of the younger people out there who follow our creators, they use TikTok as their search engine Mm -hmm. they don't go to you google they go to tiktok and they search you know what's happening in this scenario and a load of videos come up talking of young people sorry no go ahead sorry to um like interrupt you Mila. there was a third thing i wanted to talk about around like the social media thing i don't think it's spoken about enough and i could talk about it for an hour so i'll just keep it no 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 go but um unconditional self um acceptance and self-love are also very, Mm. very important and are things that aren't really pushed within our capitalist society that we live in. I only found out about these things like a year or two ago, right? Mm. I was like 31 and I found out, oh, you can love yourself. And basically the idea behind it is like in, 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 um, uh, like, yeah, I'll just like go into it. So basically I I learned this in therapy. So when when you're born as a human being, you're born completely helpless and defenseless. And the only reason why you and I are here is because we had like a caregiver or a parent that looked after us. And so we perceive the love of others as being key to survival. And this Mm. is actually something that follows us into adulthood. Mm. And we start off really needing other people's love and then that turns into approval from our friends mm. and approval from wider society and the amount of salary we're paid and like our achievements and stuff. And that's something that's within all of us. But actually a big part of growing up and about and, and maturing is about learning how to love and accept yourself ir- irrespective yeah. of what's going on around you. And um, it's something that's not really taught to people. So the reason why you feel rubbish when the person's Mm. bought the house, but you haven't, is because you tie your sense of worth to whether you have a house or not. But the fact is, everyone is valuable just because they're living and breathing human being. Yeah. Like, that's the case. And the reason why this isn't pushed 
in our society is because it's not a great way to sell things to people. It is directly tied to capitalism. Yeah. Because in capitalism, you need people to feel like they're not enough so that they spend more money to feel like they're enough. Mm. So no, no company is ever going to tell you, don't buy our clothes, you don't need them. They're going to say, you're not cool, buy our clothes yeah. and then you'll be cool. So, um, yeah, I'm a big proponent of self-love. I'm still like working on it. But if you if you just have a sense of like value in yourself, then you'll be a lot less affected by what everyone else is what, doing. What do you do to to create that? Like, do you have a process of doing certain things to make sure you are taking a step back and giving yourself that self-love? Like, how do you go about that? How do you practice self-love? Yeah. Um, Okay, so what I'll do is I'll use the example that my therapist gave me. It's okay. a bit of a weird one, but I'll, I'll give it a go. <laughs> so um, she, she, the example she gave to me was, um, imagine you're walking along the street and you see a car that's mm. about to run over a brick. Right. Would you jump into the street and um, try and save the brick? And I was like, no. And she was like, why? Uh, and I said, because it's a brick. She's like, exactly. I'm still confused at this point. <laughs> She then goes, if you're walking on the street and you see a car about to run over a little child, would you try and save the child? And I said, yes. And she said, why? And I said, well, because it's a human being. And she said, yes, you wouldn't ask the child mm. whether it was a good child or a naughty child, how many Instagram followers it had, whether yeah. it had bought a house or like whether it had rich parents. You recognize mm. that that's a human being that yeah. deserves to be alive. So the same love that you're able to give that human being, you can actually give to yourself as well. Yeah. So if you love anyone in your life, that same love that you freely give to them, you can give to yourself. Uh, do you ever listen to Rob Dial? No. He's, he's got a podcast called, um, I think it's called Mindset Mentor. But he's I've heard of that. Very well-known podcast. And I, I've been listening to him recently and he's talked about self-love. And I've read it in a few books before. And the, the examples they give are, if you had a friend and they were ill, and they had like really bad stomach pain and they just couldn't get up, but they were like, I'm, I'm going to work, I'm going. And you'd be like, dude, like sit down, rest, call your boss and say you can't go in. But to yourself, nine times out of 10, we'll fight through it. I've got to go to work. Yeah. We treat ourselves worse, worse than what you would your people. friend. Yeah, yeah. And what Rob was saying on his podcast is that you need to take yourself outside of yourself sometimes. Like yep. physically take yourself outside, look at yourself and go, is this the right decision for me? Am I making the decision that I would make for one of my friends? And then you can put yourself in that situation of looking out for yourself the way you would a friend. Abs absolutely. And um, like final thing, just to build upon your point, is like, yeah, like whenever you're in a difficult situation um, and you're kind of beating yourself up about mm. it, again, think about what you would say to a loved one or a good friend that was in that situation. You mm -hmm. wouldn't like come down hard on no. them and like be mean to them. You'd probably mm -hmm. show them a bit of grace, a bit of compassion. You can do that to yourself as well. A hundred percent. Do you journal? Or I do journal. Do you? Do I come across as a No, journaler? the reason why I'm asking is because I've literally started in the past five days and in like true the way my mind's wired, I Googled like the best way to journal. And, and, it, was, and it was basically just like, I got so many prompts and stuff, but it was like, just start writing down what you feel. And I know I've been doing it for five days, so I'm not going to be that guy that's like, this is the best thing ever. But it has completely taken me outside of myself. Mm -hmm. And I sit down in the morning and that's the first thing I do now instead of going on my phone. And I write down how I'm feeling, whether it's about the business, whether it's about my family, whether mm -hmm. it's about my friends. Mm -hmm. And I 
and I write out everything that I'm feeling and what ends up happening at the end of, you know, and I only write like a few sentences or a paragraph or so, but at the end of it, I end up taking a step back and going, ah, either that's how I can tackle that or that's actually not that important. Yeah. And be grateful for X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So how, how long have you been doing it for? Have you found it helpful? Like six years now. Really? I have a journal, journaling app on my phone. And, right. Um, What's that called? Journey. Okay. Yeah. And um, it actually gives you throwback entries to like the same thing you wrote that that wow. day, like in the previous years. I actually turn that off because some days I get like five or six years <laughs> worth now. Um, but journaling is hugely important because yeah, like there's like the way you the way you feel in the moment isn't necessarily representative of like how you want to feel or how mm. you'll feel even five minutes after that. So I think giving your space giving yourself space to just write down anything judgment free how how often do you get to do that in day-to-day mm. life just kind of express Never. yourself in the privacy of your own journal um is really useful because you can then come yeah. back to it and read it and be like i know okay so i was feeling that way at the time but i don't necessarily feel that way now and sometimes i'll use journaling to kind of trick myself into feeling a different way as well so if i'm having a bad day i do like a top 10 list of things that are going well in my life. Mm. I'll just quickly, either on a post-it note or in my journal, and there'll be things like, um, like both my parents are alive. Yeah. Um, I have like hot running water in my house, just things, whatever. Yeah, that you never will take, usually day to day, take a step back and think how lucky I am for certain things. So do you have, and I know we've gone off tangent a bit talking about, <laughs> talking about cool. journaling, but like, I mean, I'm really fascinated about the whole premise of it and again, how to be better at it. So how, how do you start usually when it comes to journaling? Like what's, do you have like a system of what you write down? Or is it just literally brain dump? It's a brain dump. And that's yeah. how I, that's what I think the best way to do. Yeah. I think when we get, it's, it's similar to, um, similar to meditation as well. Mm. Um, when we are very prescriptive about these things mm. and there's like a system yeah. and like a structure and a way of doing it, same in meditation, you need to be sat like this, have your hands like this and you need to start <laughs> yeah. floating. Yeah. And I think um, we've kind of lost the point of it. The whole yeah. point of journaling is there's stuff that's in your brain mm. that you are not in control of. You can't, you know, if you don't want to see something, you can close your eyes and not see it, but you mm. can't really stop thinking thoughts. So you, put it down and then that, mm. that just helps you to see it from a third perspective 100 um and that that's all you need to do no i love that and it kind of goes on to a point on a topic that i wanted to talk to you about because sure. i heard it on another podcast that you were a guest on is this concept of having a growth mindset which is kind of what i was saying at the beginning when i i love people who can continually continuously learn mm -hmm. So what does a growth mindset mean for you? And for anybody out there that maybe feels that they don't have one, what's your advice for someone to start to grow that growth mindset? Because I personally believe everybody can have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a growth mindset is the belief that given enough time, you can learn anything, mm. basically. So this isn't something that's necessarily the case with the use of your physical body, right? Because you, you get older and then there are certain things yeah. that you like can't do yeah. over time. But when it comes to the use of your brain, you can learn pretty much anything that you need to learn, whether that's a new skill, a language, um, like you can, you can definitely learn it. And you are open to learning new things as well. Mm. Thing about money is, 
a lot of us will have a bad experience with money at some point and then we'll just tell ourselves like i'm bad at this and then you shut the door on it this mm. happens a lot with like maths as well you yeah. just say that i'm not a numbers person you shut the door on it but a, gro a growth mindset is where you go okay i don't know how to do this thing now mm. but if i start small and i build over time then i i can learn how to do it and um i have this in spades i actually think i actually credit myself with having this i have no problems and actually quite enjoy not being good at stuff mm. because i know that if i just keep doing it then i will get good at some point i think that's such a liberating way of thinking and i've heard it from i think i heard it from joe rogan on his podcast i think he was saying one of the biggest skills you can have is being comfortable with being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Because whenever you start any new skill, so you start playing football, you start learning an instrument, you're gonna be rubbish. Yeah. There's no, it's very rare that you pick something up and you're just amazing from the get go. And what tends to happen in a lot of kids' lives is they might've had a bad experience, like you say, with money, or they might've had a bad experience joining a football team or whatever it may be. And then they stop wanting to learn mm -hmm. and stop wanting to be vulnerable because being vulnerable can be quite scary. Whereas if you actually get comfortable in those situations and like you say, enjoy being bad at something because you know that you'll be able to learn it, you can pretty much, like you say, do anything. Yeah. And that's liberating. And to, and like, this is the case from like day one, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you're a baby, yeah you don't just start walking from day one you actually have a really long period of yeah. like crawling and walking and falling over and stuff but because you're a child you don't mm. have that self-consciousness or that expectation that you're going to be perfect yeah straight away so you can if you can adopt that childlike mindset that really helps um and also also point other point i wanted to make about having a, a growth mindset yeah you just need to enjoy the process mm. of like doing stuff. If you go on my Instagram and you scroll all the way down to the bottom mm. and you look at the first graphics that I started doing, yeah. they are nowhere near as good as the graphics that yeah. I um, do today. In fact, anything that you see me doing that's not writing, I've had to learn since 2019. Yeah. That includes speaking on camera, mm. um, like running a podcast, the, all the graphic design and stuff. Yeah. Um, so you need to like love what you're doing mm. in order to bear being not good yeah, at it in the so beginning true. i think um it maybe is a bit of a tall order to expect people to not be good at something and also hate the thing that they're doing so mm -hmm. like doing something that you fundamentally love makes the learning process like way way easier oh yeah that's the other point i wanted to make um there is a quote that i read in a book called grit by angela duckworth okay um that talks about like talent so don't mm -hmm. fall into a talent trap and the quote goes something like the reason why we imbue other people with talent is because if we had to acknowledge that I'm paraphrasing here, yeah. if we had to acknowledge the fact that actually they just practiced, that makes us look inadequate. Mm. So we look at someone like David Beckham and we look at their ability to score like a, fr a free kick or something and we go, wow, he just must naturally be that way. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that he spent would have spent most of his waking hours practicing free kicks, and then yeah. because of some like innate skill he had, it kind of made him better than yeah. his peers. Um, so, yes, talent exists, natural aptitude exists, but you actually get good at things by practicing and through repeat exposure. Ten thousand hours, isn't it? Yes. So, I heard. Um, I think it's Jimmy Carr was on 
Stephen Bartlett's podcast. Sure. And he was talking about the exact same thing about, yes, talent is important, but hard work is mo more important. Yeah. And he used the analogy of Michael Jordan, hands down, we all agree is the best basketball player ever. Most people agree that, right? Maybe one of the best athletes ever. Yeah, right. But if he didn't go into the gym every day and practice and practice and practice and practice, you never would have heard of him. Mm. So yes, talent is important, but if you want to wake up and go, oh, they're only you know, good at what they do because of talent, well, good luck basically is the way that he phrased it. Because you can't, I'm not saying everybody can become Michael Jordan, but you can learn pretty much anything by, and get good at pretty much anything to a, to a certain level you that your body and your mind will allow you to. You know, like I'm never gonna play in the NBA, however good I get, because I'm just, you know, I'm five foot nine and it's not gonna <laughs> work. But I can get good enough at basketball if I spend the next 10 years doing it. I think the thing with most people though is, you know, they go, I've got a job, got a wife, got kids, I've got commitments. I don't have time to learn this stuff. And I think it's a case of figuring out your priorities in life saying to yourself, what do you really want out of life? What do you want to get good at? What do you want your future to be? And taking a step back and thinking, where do I need to focus then to get there? Mm -hmm. Do I need to cut out certain friends? Do I need to cut out certain hobbies that I have that aren't helping? Mm -hmm. And if coming bringing it back to finance, if you're not in a financial place you want to be, are you spending any time improving your financial literacy? Because if not, well, good luck being any good at money. If you're not going to research it, and f you know, as you say, there's all these resources online for you to be get fairly good at money. You have to, you know, as you say, accept that you need to start learning. And if you do start learning, you can get good at it. Yeah. On the prior the, the prioritization piece yeah. is really really valid. Yeah. Um, and kind of is related to what we were talking about school earlier. Yeah. There are just so many things to learn. It can almost be paralyzing to decide what it is yeah. you want to get good at, right? So there are three things that I use to decide what to prioritize and actually help me to decide to focus on money. Cause oh, wow. I have other interests too, yeah. but money was the one that I decided to settle on. The first thing is if you were to win the lottery, mm. so you were completely just financially set for life, Mm. what would you want to spend and, and like you bought the car and you've gone on the crazy holidays yeah. and stuff what would you want to spend most of your time doing that can give you an indication as to what you're actually passionate about and what you want to get, get good at mm. equally if you found that you had 12 months to live like not not meaning to be morbid yeah, like yeah. what would you want to spend that time doing again like yeah. you got 12 months to get good at something what would you want that um, thing to be and then the third thing is in a world with like myriad issues and problems, mm. what's the one thing that you think that sucks about the world today that in your lifetime you'd want to solve? And like that thing for me was money. Wow. And that's what enabled me to That's a great three, focus on three point plan to try and figure out what, what you'd prioritize. Because those are things are fun and like nice to think about yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But if you really kind of narrow down like how you'd like to spend your time, I found that very useful. It's so funny. I have heard quotes about that before, about what would you do if you, if money wasn't an issue, what would you actually be doing with your life? Or what would you want to do? And when you do sit down and close your eyes and think about that, it does make you really put things into perspective of what's important because we do get bogged down with our responsibilities and our bills and things like that. 
but as you say, not to be morbid, but you, everybody has one life. No mm -hmm. one knows how long it's going to last. You might get hit by a bus tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and tomorrow, hopefully you won't. Hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, I'm not crossing the street now yeah. today. <laughs> um, but hopefully you won't. Um, but taking it back to finance, and the reason why I wanted to ask you this is, I'm doing a talk at a school in a few weeks' time to a bunch of school leavers, so 18-year-olds leaving sixth form. And I want to give some advice on what to focus on when they come out of, not even just out of university, because some of them won't go to university, but sure. when they come out of school. What's your, I guess, a few key pieces, pieces of advice for, to, to young people coming out of school that will springboard them onto having a solid financial foundation instead of being in a bunch of debt and whatnot coming out of school? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, if I was speaking to a bunch of 18 year olds mm. and I wanted to give them like one tip yeah. to sort them out financially. Mm. And if I also recommend them one book, I'd recommend them The Richest Man in Babylon. Short little book. Okay. The main premise of which is whenever you earn money, let's say you earn 10 pounds, Spend nine pounds, but save one pound. Okay. So the lesson in there is try and be in a position where you're consistently spending less than what you earn. Right. Okay. It's a really simple concept, but it's a really powerful one. Mm. If you go through your life earning money and spending all of that money, it doesn't matter whether you earn um, 30,000 pounds a year or 30 million pounds a year you're going to be left with zero pounds yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And you could have this lifestyle that makes you, you could have a fancy car, you could have a big house, yeah. but you actually have zero pounds left at the end of the day. And the smallest thing that comes along is going to derail you and set a chain reaction where um, you could end up in debt or much worse. If you can get yourself into a position where you consistently spend less than you earn, that additional money, whether it's 10% of your income, 20%, 30%, is the seed money that you can use to save up an emergency fund. Mm. So that if you lose your job or your primary source of income, you know that there's a set amount of weeks or months that you can live off, yeah. live, uh, live for off money that you saved and you're not gonna have to rely on a loan or, or no. a credit card. With that seed money, you can use it to save to buy a house or um, you know, a new car, or like things that you want to do and have in your life. And you can use it to save and invest towards your future as well. Mm. Every, most things in your life and like people and stuff are going to pressure you to spend 100% of all of your money. Mm. Um, and it's your job to create systems and habits that make sure that you don't do that. Yeah. The simplest way to do that, by the way, is mm. to set up a standing order from your main bank account mm. to a separate bank account that you don't touch, which is earmarked, or bank accounts that you don't touch, which is earmarked for this like additional yeah. money. So that, that's what I would say to them. Because um, yeah, lifestyle creep is real. You get a pay rise, so you get a slightly bigger house, or so you, you get a car and stuff. But yeah. if you can just lock it, if you can just like have a type of lifestyle that you're happy with and mm. lock that in, and increase that gap of like the additional money that you're setting aside, yeah. that's huge. That will make a huge, huge difference in your life going mm. forward. I think that's incredibly powerful advice because it's so simple. 
as well. Just spend less than you earn mm -hmm. and you'll probably be okay. And that kind of goes back to the point of, you know, what social media is doing that is damaging is the so that pressure to, got a pay rise, I've got a better flat now and I've got a better car and, you know, I'm going to spend more on clothes because that will make people like me and the approval that you talked about earlier and wanting that approval. I think that's such solid advice. We're obviously going through a pretty turbulent financial situation at the moment. Yeah. We're in a cost of living crisis. You know, food prices are going up, wages aren't rising, you know, recessions. What's your big piece of advice at the moment for people who are incredibly worried about the financial situation and maybe aren't making their ends meet? Mm what's your first piece of advice of what to do, where to go? Uh, what, what kind of advice can you give them? Yeah, um, I think the first thing I wanna say, particularly to young people, is mm. just an acknowledgement that the world they're growing up in at the moment is really tough. Mm. Inflation is really high at the moment. It's mm. at 10.1%. Yeah. The target rate is supposed to be 2%. Inflation is really high which means it's eating into your disposable income. <clears throat> the one tool that we have, blunt, blunt instrument that we have to reduce inflation is to raise interest rates. This is the bank, what the Bank of England does. And they raise, they raise interest rates to make debt and borrowing more expensive. So things like mortgages become more expensive, which reduces people's disposable income. And the idea is that the less disposable income people have, the less they'll spend. And so that will bring, pri that will bring prices down. Mm. Um, so your mortgage is more expensive. Or if you're renting, maybe that's being passed on to you and your rent is more expensive. Mm. Wages aren't going up. Mm. And, you, and you've got the governor of the Bank of England actually telling people not to ask for pay rises and to just accept that they're poorer. So when we, and then when we look at debt usage of debt, debt usage is up as well. Mm. And it's more expensive now because interest rates are higher. So you're being squeezed from both ends. So there is like a, the acknowledgement is that it's really difficult and there is kind of a systemic issue. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, we've had all the strikes and stuff. And I think what this points to is the fact that like the monetary system that we've relied on for so long, just like fundamentally isn't working. Yeah. Um, and there's no amount of like budgeting or money man management that yeah. you can really do to stop that. What you actually need is like intervention from a government level to be like the system's not working. Mm. But there are things that you can do in your day to day to, um, I guess, navigate the system as, as best as you can. Um, when it comes to like grocery shopping and cause like food price inflation is really high at the moment. Um, I use like price comparison sites to make sure that mm. I'm getting like the cheap, the stuff as cheaply as possible. There's a great website called trolley.co.uk okay. that you can use for this. And this is particularly useful for things that you're gonna use anyway, like toilet roll and kind of toothpaste and yeah. so on. Um, so you can buy in bulk. I max out like every single like loyalty program that I possibly can. I have an app on my phone where I save all my like loyalty cards too. Mm. So I collect points wherever I shop. Okay. And I shot I shorten down my um, shopping cycles as well. So for me personally, I found shopping on a week to week basis means that I can manage my spend just that bit better. Right. So I have an amount that I know I want to spend in the month, mm. but I'll like break it up um, and stuff. Um, 
but like there's there's no two ways about it. I think that the situation mm. we're in is actually quite difficult, and I would encourage people to um, to think very carefully about who we vote in at the next general election. I've been mm. saying quite openly to people, I think we do need to vote out the Conservatives. Mm. And it's not because I have anything against them. Um, it's because they've just been in, they will have been in power for a decade and a half by the time the next election mm. comes round. And I think someone else needs to be given a turn, basically. You, you mentioned about the fact that there's, there's no amount of budgeting or saving that across you know, the masses people can do to fix this this is a systemic issue this is a systemic issue right and you mentioned that it needs to be government intervention really Mm -hmm. what is that government intervention that would fix this like is what is your what do you think the governments can do to change what has happened within our economy yeah that's a really big question i'm not claiming to have all of the answers uh one and two um, I don't think I should have them because, like, to be yeah. frank, I didn't run. Like, I didn't ask anyone to elect me. Like, they yeah, did yeah. that, so they should have the answers. But yeah, I yeah. think it goes something along the lines of all these systems that I've spoken about mm. are not laws of physics, right? Mm. The 2% inflation target was decided in the early 90s. Mm. Interest rates aren't real. Um, like, even money itself is not yeah, real. Like, yeah. that that's... The system's not working and that mm. is what's being exposed here. The reason why inflation is high is because um, like food price inflation is like 19.4% right now. It's not because the f- individual yeah. f- food items are 19% more valuable or you're getting mm. 19% more food. It's because you can just raise prices as a yeah. business. Um, so what we need to do is, that, and I think there's a lot of like not seeing the wood for the trees. Um, what we the question we need to ask is not how can we bring inflation down um, what are interest rates we actually need to look at stuff mm. is there enough stuff in the country in the world to go around everyone if there is then we devise a system that enables the proper allocation of resources not staying within the problem mm. and going, oh, we'll just raise interest rates a bit more because that's mm. clearly not working. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, taking, taking them outside of that and saying how to allocate it. Yeah, because if, if there's actually enough stuff in the world mm. and the means to produce it, then it's kind of a red herring whether interest rates or inflation are this or that. Mm. Just get the stuff, make a different type of system and get the yeah. stuff to people. And we actually are able to come up with new systems in this country depending on what's going on on the ground. We saw yeah. this during the pandemic yeah. where we introduced furlough, right? Like that wasn't a normal thing, but we recognized no, that none it None of us needed. had heard of it before it yeah. happened. And we created the new system and it thankfully enabled people to get through that period yeah. and like stop lots of like job losses and stuff. So we need the people who are in power who have positioned themselves as like some of the smartest and um, like people in the country mm. to come up with a new way of allocating resources. I'm not uh, like an artist, but if I was to create like a newspaper doodle for what's going on right now, I would almost imagine like a child asking an adult for like an apple from a tree and the adult saying, sorry, I can't give that to you because of inflation. Yeah. Like the apple's right there. So like, can you give it to them or not? Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting to, to even just think about it because it is a hugely, I, I, I always think of it though as 
it's such a globalized issue at this point mm -hmm. that it's not just what's going to happen in this country. There's yes. only so much that, and listen, it's a great first step with our government doing something about it, stepping in, but it is a global issue. And all those global leaders, at least of the, you know, the developed nations need to get around a table mm -hmm. and devise a new plan because inf inflation rates are rising everywhere. It's mm -hmm. not just the UK. And I think sometimes in this country, we're also very quick to just be like, this is going shit here. <laughs> like, this is like, I was in, a, in my barbers the other day and the, one of the barbers was just going off on how bad the UK is. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we're doing everything correctly, but it's pretty bad in a lot of places right now. There's been a decline for sure. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in living standards, in like real wages and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Sorry. I, I no, 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 no. Um, and and I, I agree. Like I've seen it. Like we, I've seen the increase in, in, um, in uh, you know, the cost of everything going mm -hmm. up and, and wages not going up and, and, you know, the NHS and strikes. And I appreciate that, but... I think that if you're actually going to fix it, like you say, the allocation of goods, not all goods come from the UK. A lot of our goods come from outside the UK. So we have to make sure that we're getting around a table with everybody around the world and making this a device system. It's just very difficult to do that country to country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can barely do it within the same country, within the same country sometimes. Um, listen, one question I wanted to ask you, because we work, as I say, we, we manage content creators and a lot of them are self-employed. Sure. So I wanted to quickly just talk about your advice for self-employed individuals because the amount of times, I, th I think something that's interesting about our industry that I work in, and I guess you work in from a content creation point of view, is the vast majority of content creators are incredibly young and they may have never been self-employed prior to that. They've never gone through paying their self-employed taxes and keeping their accounts up to date. Mm -hmm. And the amount of times where the tax man's come knocking at the door and they might have spent that money because they didn't sit on that. What's your advice for self-employed, people going self-employed for the first time and how to handle that difference between having a paycheck and having your PAYE deducted and then going self-employed and having to figure that out? Because mm -hmm. it is a minefield sometimes. Sure. Um so being self-employed, running your own business is mm. like a very brave step to take yeah. and um, very rewarding too, because you potentially get to spend a lot of your time doing exactly what it is you want. And mm. there's a lot of income upside from that. I was actually at an event this week and um, I asked a question. It's, yeah, it's really funny that you um, like asked this question because the theme of the event was around um like women entrepreneurs there was a mm. panel of like five women and some of them had transitioned from being in full-time employment to running businesses and yeah. they were kind of talking about the highs and lows and stuff and the question i asked was when you um when you leave a full-time job you not only um, lose the security of a monthly paycheck but you also lose uh various benefits like insurance like paid maternity leave like a mm. company pension yeah like what can business owners do to put this in place yeah and the answer came, that came back was like yeah i don't have any of that stuff <laughs> in place but that's normal that's yeah. actually really normal and i'm yeah. working on putting some of that stuff in place as well mm. so what what things can people do one of the things i see from business owners particularly the successful ones too mm. is that they are really focused on like getting the money in the door 
but not necessarily on like paying themselves and retaining it. And what do I mean by that? It means that you have a business that might be turning over a lot of money, mm. but and, and you're paying yourself a salary, but you might not have like a pension. Yeah. Right. And we know when we look at the pension statistics that because of things like auto enrollment, employees uh, subscribe to a pension at a rate of about 70%. But for self-employed people, that drops to about 30%, which means uh, that you could spend your whole time, like if you look at the employee versus the um, yeah. self-employed person, that employee is earning a wage, sure, but they're also accumulating money in a pension, which they can use to retire mm. in later life. Yeah. But that self-employed person is just earning loads of money and then spending it, but not accumulating any. Yeah. So definitely, and, and also when it comes to like pension wealth, pension mm. wealth is actually a significant pillar of wealth for people in this country. It's mm. like the biggest component over property, over financial assets, wow. over physical wealth. So one of the really simple thing you can do is you can open um, a private pension. So that's either one that's man managed or you can open what's called a SIP, which stands for self-invested mm. personal pension. And you can start to put away um, like small sums, whatever you can manage each month. So that, yeah, you're making loads of money and you're earning, you're growing a business, but you're at least paying yourself as well. And this is money that you can use to um, retire yeah. uh, down the line. Well, the other things you lose when you um, work in a company, well, you lose things like sick pay. Yeah. When you work in a company and, you, and you're unwell, even if you don't go in, you still get paid. But yeah. when you're a business owner, you're like working every possible hour, like under the sun, burning the candle at both ends. I don't think I've ever properly taken leave, like for my business. Yeah. So like, I'm not, I'm definitely not like not a model student mm. for this but this is where things like critical illness protection yeah. and income protection come into place um which is something that i'm applying i'm applying for at the moment so yeah. this is where you pay like a monthly premium um such that if your sort if your income gets disrupted mm. you will get a payout after a waiting period that's equal to about half of your normal salary yeah. Yeah. and that means that you're protected um in that case and then when it comes to tax a great accountant is will be worth um, their weight in gold. I love that because I always tell people that, and I've always I've realized that over, it's taken me a while to realize that. Yeah. That when you first start a business, it's 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 like a dagger in the heart having to pay an accountant to do things you know you can probably do, but you know they can <laughs> do it better than you. But I always say a good accountant is worth every penny. Uh huh. Every every penny because the pitfalls if you don't have a good accountant are huge josh and i were talking about it because josh when he first came out of school university school right you were you josh was self-employed and you know the pitfalls of that and not knowing like what tax to do here and I, and I was the exact same and it's funny you should say about the pension stuff yeah because i only started paying myself i've been self-employed for god honest well since i came out of school what i'm kind of taking up from your advice for self-employed people, especially those people who are quite young and, and they're a sole trader, is think of yourself almost as an employee. What would you give an employee? You'd give them benefits, you'd give mm -hmm. them pension, you'd withhold tax. You need to do that for yourself as yeah. well. Like every hundred pounds you earn, you don't keep that hundred pounds. Mm. You've got your national insurance contributions, you've got your, you know, your income tax, you've got, you know, if you're VAT registered, make sure you're not spending that extra 20% because mm -hmm. the amount of times I've seen people 
charge VAT and then spend that VAT. Yeah, you need to pass that straight on. Straight on to yeah. a savings account. Like mm-hmm. our business has saving accounts set up with tax and things like that. And it automatically goes there because it, it is such a pitfall mm. and it is a hard learning process. But in the spirit of giving people actionable tips that they can take away. Yeah. We've just done an exploration of some of the things people can do. Um, just see if you can get yourself a good accountant because mm-hmm. that's like the one thing you can do that leads to all the other things yeah. and talk to them and ask them for like business advice. 100%. Um, how do you find a good accountant? Actually, if you just ask people within your niche or within your field who they use, like mm. word of mouth for me has been the best way yeah, to, to find that sort of help. Mm. The final thing I'll say is keeping good records can make your accountant's life much, much easier. So making sure that you hold on to all receipts and bank statements, yeah. um, making sure that you keep good accounts, like in your accounting software. Mm. Um, I use a great piece of software called QuickFile, by the way. Yeah. Um, and it's like free for like small businesses. Mm. But also keeping a rock solid cash flow spreadsheet. I have yeah. a cash flow spreadsheet that has all my prospective income, Mm. all the income I've actually made, all my expenses. Mm. So it means that when time comes for me to talk my uh, talk to my accountant, and they're like, oh, how much should you pay yourself in dividends? Mm. How much should you pay on business expenses? It's all there. Yeah. And actually, this spreadsheet that I'm using, because I, when I showed it to my accountant, she was like, this is like the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. I have no changes. I'm actually thinking of scrubbing it and making it available. I was just going to say, people. is it online for people? No, to it's use? not. I think that'd be so helpful for yep. people. I've because we we use Zero, okay, which is a great software, but it is quite intricate in places. So our accountants run it. But over the years, I've figured out what things mean. But I also have a spreadsheet on my laptop, and every day. I look at, I go through my bank, my business bank account, expenses, what's owed, what's going out, what VAT is owed, and I have a bottom line and I look at it every day. And yep. it's a very basic sheet yep. because I think that's another thing that, and this goes back to people who are just, they're employed and this just about their personal money. You need to know exactly how much money you have yep. at all times. And if you know that, and I think what happens sometimes is people bury their head in the sand about it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to check what they've got. Mm-hmm. They don't want to check what's coming in and out. Mm-hmm. When actually knowledge is power, right? And if you know what's what you've got and you've got it written down, even if it's on a piece of paper, it's helpful. I think it's awesome that you have that spreadsheet that is yeah. spot on. Yeah. And that is a great segue into what you're what you were just talking about yeah. as well, which is like budgeting, your personal yeah. budget. A lot of the standard budgeting advice mm-hmm. is that you go back three to six months. You look at everything, you categorize it all. Um, I think that that is good for the people who have the time and and who um, feel comfortable. Because as you said, like some people just don't want to look at the money in, money out. And I certainly was in that position when I was younger. Mm. The question that I have found is most appealing to people is, Mm. how much money did you spend last week? Mm. So forget forget going back to Christmas. How much money did you spend last week? Get yourself a free budgeting app, link your bank accounts to it, set the filter to last week. How much did you spend? How much came in? Few too many Ubers in there, few too many uh, takeaways. Mm. That's not a problem. Make a plan for how you'd like the next week to go. And actually put into your calendar or whatever system you use to like, that gets you to do things. This will be my takeaway day. Yeah. Um, I will go to this person's like party or whatever the case may be. Yeah. 
start small, start with the weekly check-ins with your money and then you can build over time. Because yeah, yeah if you're looking at like the past month, that's like a month's worth of spending decisions, mm. some of which you may regret, some of which <laughs> you may not yeah. uh, remember even. Mm. But everyone can answer the question how much money they spent last week and everyone can make a plan for the week ahead. And my day to do this is on a Sunday. Yeah, I, I love that because I, I look at anything I do in life and I've only started doing it recently, like that. Don't look at the big picture too much. Break it down. Mm -hmm. What's the next step you've got to make? If you go, right, I want to launch a business and I want to turn over X amount of million a year and I want to have X amount of employees and I want to have a big house, it can just seem incredibly daunting. And the same goes for budgeting. If you, if you try and look back over too far a period, you're going to just look at it and go, whoa. Yeah. Whereas if you just look, take everything step by step, baby steps, you can start to chip away at it and, and improve. The reason why they say to look back over that long period, by yeah. the way, is because um, you will have periods during the year where your your expenditure will be like slightly higher, like yeah. maybe in the run up to Christmas or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's why for the people who can do that, that's like the yeah. quote unquote right thing to do. Yeah. But we're talking now about building a new habit. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. have you read Atomic Habits by James no, Clear? No. Hugely recommend that okay. book. Great book on just like how to build any habit. Okay. You know, start small, make it fun, make it achievable. Yeah. Um, for the people who want to get started, who've known that they're supposed to do this thing, but have been burying their head in the stand, just start with the week-to-week -week thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Listen, I've completely enjoyed this conversation. I love talking about finance and, and just education and learning in general. But my one big question to end this is, what's your biggest lesson that you've learned that you can pass on to the next person that might be on this podcast? Biggest lesson that I've learned? Um, yeah, I think the one thing that ties into, I think everything that we've spoken about mm. is like be be a person of, of value. Mm. Um, yes, the economy can be like in decline. Mm. Um, yes, things are like tough at the moment. But the fact of the matter is that there are like millions and millions of pounds um, exchanging hands every single day like right as we're speaking people are buying things mm. um people like investing in things and stuff and i think a question to take away and, and maybe work on is how can i be the sort of person that people want to pay to do stuff yeah or like or, or to pay more um what habits do i need to have whether it's like journaling meditation or whatever the case may be yeah um what skills do i need to have um, what business niches or content niches do I need to go into that will make me the sort of person mm. that people will want to pay and will want to use and stuff. Mm. If you can focus on that, then um, yes, life can be difficult. Yes, the economy can be difficult, but you can actually do like, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a question I ask myself. Like I make content about money. I run a business. What What can I talk about? Who can I appeal to? that will make like brands want to work with me, that will make people want to book me for talks, that will make people want to invite me onto podcasts. Yeah. Go to work on that every single day and um, change your life for the better. Amazing. Timmy, thank you so much. Thank you for having Thanks. me. Thanks.